I'm so mad. We all know what a pathogen is. Pathogen. We all know what a pathogen is now. You just said pathogen again. Pathogen. <laughs> pathogen. 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 What's good, fam? This is the Queer Archive, a queer and feminist Doctor Who podcast. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Brenna. And this week, we're here to talk about the sixth episode of Series 12, Praxius. Let's pull it open to talk about camping rookie mistakes and why people <laughs> insist on going into obviously haunted locations. <laughs> All right, pull it open. Initial reactions. <sighs> Boy, pandemic uh, story <laughs> hitting a little different 10 months after we saw it the first time. <laughs> I'm the I'm the, the Pedro Pascal just the Pedro Pascal I can't talk. <laughs> All of the quarantine comments. Yikes. Multiple, plural. Yeah. This time around when Ryan and Graham talk about not knowing what a pathogen is and mm. being embarrassed, my thought was definitely I'm so mad. Now we all know what a pathogen is. Well, isn't that wizard? Yeah, I really, truly cannot wait to eject all this epidemiology knowledge from my brain when the time comes. It's going to be really great so to free brain. that up for important <laughs> shit like Star Wars. <laughs> There's so much Star Wars you could know. <laughs> but right now, all that important virus information is in there, and it's just... I hate that I know how an mRNA vaccine works. Mm. I would like to go back to being blissfully unaware. Mm. <laughs> also, this didn't stick out to me last time. I think I actually haven't watched Praxius since I think it aired. We um, both had really fresh reactions, reactions to everything. Yeah. <laughs> the two of them, Jamila and Gabriella, they are camping. They are vloggers. They are travel vloggers. So this is like this is what they do. They left their campfire lit overnight with all of that trash nearby. What are you doing? Literally on Trash Mountain. What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you Light doing? It up. Not even in a pit or anything. Not a ring around it. Just fire. <laughs> I would love to die in a conflagration. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, like, there's eating crows, but they don't die from that. They die because they don't know how to light a fire, not <laughs> on no trash. Basic fire safety. <laughs> we don't even, I've never I been mean, backpacking out in the, like, the back roads. We don't do that. We camp in campsites, and even I know you're not supposed right. to do that. I'm not saying everyone should know this. I'm just saying people who have been backpacking... For how long? What You have a YouTube Please. channel that's successful enough that you think people should know who you are? You should know better than this. <laughs> I'm just concerned. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Joanna Borja. Borja? Borja? Borja. I'm Borja? guessing because Spanish. <laughs> well, it's Portuguese, so. I True. And her name is Jamila, not... The J is a hard J. So yeah, I know. I know. Anyways, Fuck. <laughs> she is still a goddamn delight. I wouldn't be sad. I remember when we did our echelon circuit, we were like, I would not be surprised if any of these three showed back up. Like, Agreed. it really wouldn't surprise me. And I honestly would be very delighted to see her join Team TARDIS. I would be happy if it was her. Yeah. Because, God, everyone is just 
so hot in it's this episode. It's a very attractive episode, yeah. Joanna Borja, get off our necks. Also, you did a great job. <laughs> but also, my girl, Gabriella, needs to chill about the vlog fame. <laughs> Why is she so disappointed when people don't know immediately who she is? What's the matter with you people? <laughs> I find it hilarious, but... That's not really Joanna's fault. That's a little bit of silly writing. Mm. But speaking of which, I still need Gabriella to be just a little more distraught that her girlfriend just died violently in, in front, front of, of her, her face. And even if that wasn't her girlfriend, if that was her best friend, hell, if that was the person she met on the bus this morning. Yeah. I just feel like there would be a little bit more. Yeah, a bit more. A bit more, I don't know. A bit more. Affliction. Trauma? Feelings of any kind? Yeah. Yeah. She does a great job with what she's been given on the script, but by the end, I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, she's just, just like, not well, I'm just gonna, I'll join you on your honeymoon. Everything's fine. And you're like, what? They are a couple, and I am a third part of that couple. You did just save the world. I get it. It's a high. But, like, oh, man. <laughs> your best friend. Anyways. I'm... Pretty sure that we said this in the Echelon Circuit, but this hospital looks so fucking haunted. Not even a little bit. No. It's like in every possible every, way. From the outside until they leave. Don't, 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 don't do it. Don't, don't do it. It's, it's abandoned, just, first of all. Yes. And yet, they continue. So, like, an abandoned hospital, flickering lights. Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. Go further in. Yeah. Explore more. <laughs> Let's Bye. find the quarantine room and go inside. I'll wait outside. Good luck. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she was there. So for plot reasons or whatever, I'm glad they went there. But there's no, like, logical reason why she would be there. No one is there. It looks like that thing has been deserted for, like, 20 years. That's why we yeah. would live at the end of the horror film. And everyone else would not. Would be. I don't know. Yeah, I think we'd live. I wouldn't be going into the haunted house. Wouldn't I also be wouldn't making, be checking out the killer sounds in the basement. I'd be, be like, bye. shit. No, we wouldn't be dissecting anything without gloves. I feel like we wouldn't make stupid decisions, but I feel like the end of the world would also just kill a lot of people, whether or not they were making stupid decisions. So maybe we would, we would die, but just not first. Later on. Yeah, we'd be like the where's your wave. Where's your trademark optimism? It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Quarantine, Quarantine killed, has smashed it. Kills that a while ago. Except for that's not true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it shall rise again. <laughs> Our optimism shall rise again. It shall return in time. It shall return in corn time. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Moving on. What's our next note? No idea. <laughs> Was it worth it? <laughs> Literally always. I love the doctor playing doctor. With a stethoscope and everything, it just brings me joy inside. <laughs> you know what else I love? More of 13 and Yaz teasing banter. We do do things by halves. Yes, found you. Thanks for coming to get us. Eventually. Look at you going off on your own and not getting killed. Aces. Can't wait for series 13. I will never stop mentioning it. All right. Since we don't have series 13 yet, perhaps it's time to revisit some of our previous thoughts and unlock the crime lock. Let's do it. I 
I submit a small correction to my previous note. Why yep. does everyone on the show text in all caps? What is that about? Jake does not text in all caps, but everyone else this series does. <laughs> the doctor, the master, Adam when he's spooky in Hong Kong. Jake is the only one with a chill. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm not in all caps. I mean, he doesn't have an ounce of chill, but... You know, um, we talked in the previous episode about how gross everything looks here. This shit was so gross. So gross. I didn't want to look at any of it. No. And I didn't want to hear it, too. Like, the, the, ugh. Ugh. the sounds. When, oh, my God. When they, when the infection would take over, I felt on my insides the same way I did in Annihilation when they cut that guy's mm-mm, stomach open mm-mm. and the guts are moving, like they're swirling. Mm-mm. Same feeling. Mm-mm. I forgot just how gross and scary. This episode is proper, proper scary. It makes me feel so icky inside. I said in the last episode there are parts of this that I haven't seen, and that is still true. You don't need to. It's so... Don't open those eyes. Keep them shut. As long as those horrible, horrible noises are happening, that's a cue for your eyes to stay shut. I tried to look this time, and then it was right? when it was, like, starting to do it on the first guy, and I was like, that'll be a pass! Right? We're sticking That's with no! All you need to know. <laughs> good news is, I can still eat conchas. Oh, good. <laughs> we were worried there for a little bit. It's so gross. But that's mostly because I don't think about it, and I don't watch this episode for that reason. <laughs> it just made, oh, it made you feel so bad inside. It makes inside. me feel bad inside, they yeah. They did a really good job at Gross. making us want to die. <laughs> like, it makes me feel, like, it makes me feel. I'm not just freaking out for comedic effect. It literally does make me feel like my insides are squirming when I see it or think about it. Ugh. Because they know it's wrong. It is wrong. (sighs) Okay, stop talking about it. (laughs) Um, The last thing that I wanted to mention is in the Echelon Circuit, I said I love Warren Brown, who's playing Jake here. I love Warren Brown. And I do still love Warren Brown. That's it. That's the note. Except for when he says, I don't do emotions, he says, with tears in his eyes. (laughs) 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 Yes, just like Jake, we here at the Queer Archive, our emotions free. And you know what else we're free of? What? Any further thoughts for the pull to open segment? Not your best, but gets us through. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you can bring that rude attitude to the High Council to talk about this script being chock-a-block full of stuff. No wonder I'm struggling through this. What? I wrote these notes at 3 a.m. and I've been up <laughs> since 3 a.m. Different 3 a.m. mornings. Yeah, that's true. Why did you take my insomnia? What are you doing? I don't want it. <laughs> Why did you give it to me? I didn't. <laughs> yes, you did. I would never take that. You shouldn't. It's no. awful. Can we give it to someone else? Yes. All right, we're up in the High Council of Gallifrey. Let's talk about those folks in the power positions in the world of Who production. Written by Pete McTeague and Chris Chibnall. Indeed. I think I think the pacing is good, but there is still too much stuff. Like, Agreed. we talked about this in our Echelon Circuit. It's like so many. It's a very tense watch because there's Agreed. so many things happening and they're all bad. 
but I think that the pacing is otherwise good. The only other thing I really have to say about writing is I hate the voiceover at the beginning and end. I think it's clunky. I know. It would have been fine without. Way stronger without it. Yeah, it doesn't need it. And then this episode was directed by Jamie Magnus Stone, who also did Spyfall Part 1, and he does Ascension of the Cybermen and Timeless Children. I think this episode actually looks really good. Jamie always does a great job. Mm -hmm. And the Millennium FX team did a good job, too. Super, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) They're on my list. (laughs) They can also have insomnia. Well, congrats to the VFX team for their new insomnia and for making this infection look super gross, and I hope I never have to think about it again. Good. I know what can keep you distracted. Oh, sweet. We can head to the Black Archive to talk about queerness and normativity in this episode. Brilliant. Okay, this is the Black Archive, a segment that's full of such dangerous, forbidden, and powerful stuff that even the doctor shouldn't go here. Here we examine things like race, class, sexuality, gender, bodies, all that stuff your mom warned you about. Lovely. Let's get into it. So we touched on this in our Echelon Circuit episode, but it's time to dig in on why this episode's The Doctor Said Gay Rights moment actually is coming up a little short for us. It is, just to clarify for the record, it is wonderful that the gay couple in this episode lives and that there is an unabashed gay kiss at the end. Good. Yes. Wonderful. Uh Love it. And we, uh, no notes. That's a lie. Lots of notes coming. Also, (laughs) like we talked about in the Echelon Circuit, it's different and good that this episode has a gay man who has a bloodborne illness Mm -hmm. and that the other cast members aren't recoiling from him first of all they're not treating him like something to be afraid of Mm -hmm. that's good and it's also really good that he doesn't die in the end and it doesn't turn into like this heart-wrenching separation between him and his partner we see your aids analogy mcteague we're tracking that's all good yeah i think that's done perfectly well anymore and it would have been Either a route that's too violent or a route that's just too clunky. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all that being said, it's also really, really deeply predictable that the gay couple is comprised of two white, cisgendered, able-bodied, masculine men. There's, there's like, literally a whole master's thesis available for someone who wants to spend time talking about how portrayals of astronauts are usually, like, pillars of masculinity and wholesomeness. Yep. But I don't have the time other than to point out that that is a trope that's existing in this episode, and I'm moving on. Very good point. Yeah. But it is, it's showing us that there are acceptable forms of queerness and that it's palatable only in its normativity. Absolutely. So the only thing that's, like, really strange about them, the only thing that's queer about them is that they're gay. But everything else is, big scare quotes, normal. Right. And even Jake presents himself as the super tough guy most of the episode, especially in the beginning. Can I also mention how (laughs) upsetting it is that he is just running around tackling people he finds suspicious in, like, a supermarket with the confidence of a police officer. Yeah. Absolutely yes, not. That makes terrible. me so uncomfortable. And it's also played for kind of laughs? Right. Question mark? Not great. Right. Not great. And that's coupled with all the queer baiting for Yaz and Thousand this season, which is, it's just showing us that there is a really narrow path for being queer on Doctor Who right now. And that is... And always. Yeah, part. and always. <laughs> but the season, and especially since Chibnall was like... Everyone's going to feel represented. That's a bummer. 
And the only outlier that we have presented so far for that is that Captain Jack is coming back. But mm-hmm. I feel like John Barrowman is always going to be like, John Barrowman can do what John Barrowman's going to do because mm-hmm. he's John Barrowman, not because the show is saying like, yes, that's acceptable. They are putting all of the burden on John Barrowman as a queer person. Yeah. Which it's good to give them a platform as a queer person, but it's almost as if they get off free. Yeah. Because they're like, he can fulfill that quota and beyond. And I totally agree. I feel like the fans are who have made this series positively queer. Mm. And even Mandip, as an actor playing a character, she has shown her support. But for all of the queer that Chibnall has implied there would be on the TARDIS, the show itself has yet to validate or even name those narratives. Yeah. So again, like, there's so much of it present. 13 is such a queer-coded character. Yeah. It's just not named. So us as a fandom, we're doing the work, and we're seeing ourselves, and we're naming it, but the show's not. And there's just, speaking of which, there's something about Yaz and the leather jacket and the backpack getup. It's just so damn gay, y'all. Like, this this whole episode in particular, she just has very gay energy about her. Let her be gay. Yeah. Then the scene between Yaz and the doctor in the alley. There were just some choices being made. Everything was super intense. And I, there wasn't really like a, a reason for it that I can name. Why? Why? It's been a while since I've rewatched it and I'm revisiting this scene. I'm like, still, there's no reason. <laughs> like, why the mood lighting? Why? Why the lingering looks? Why? Why? Why the lingering looks with the mood lighting? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I can't make sense of it. Speaking of being sapphic icons without the show letting them be sapphic icons, Gabriella and Jamila. Super queer-coded, right? They're girlfriends, for sure. Absolutely. So, like, one of the first things we see is Gabriella taking Jamila's hands, leading her to a surprise, beautiful location with her eyes closed. Well, so she thought. (laughs) But I just, I remember there being discussion about if Gabriella was flirting with Ryan later. Stand still. When she was noticing his muscles, patting him down and stuff. And I immediately said, yeah, I'm, I'm a just be a little too gay for this shit, but I definitely, <laughs> totally didn't read it that way. I definitely read Gabriella asking him if he works out, like, You work out? Yo, bro, like, you work out? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I asked you this time around, and you're like, yeah, Gabriella in particular reads us really gay. She reads as gay to me, for sure. Yeah. Which I love. Just, like, name it. Yeah. But, How hard would it have been to be like, that was my girlfriend and she's dead? No. It's a word. One gay couple an episode, Brenna. You already murdered the girlfriend. What does it cost you? Literally nothing. It's going to get buried in the avalanche of story but in this they don't, episode. They want this episode to be an anthem of not burying your gay, so they can't acknowledge that they did bury That a they gay. buried a gay. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. But okay. Moving on. I'm sorry. There's a lot to unpack, as the academics say, in this Black Archive. I want to talk a little bit more about the whole correction to the barrier gaze trope in the context of the broader Doctor Who universe. Mm. And let me tell you how infinitely better this is than the unnovel, unbarrier gay thing that Moffat did to Bill two series ago. Ugh. The whole point is to imagine a queer character's arc that doesn't have to include our death to progress or resolve the storyline. Yeah. Which that did not. Um, (laughs) So here's the thing. This story did. It did it. It inspired change and motivation in a character without having to kill off a gay person. Yeah. And 
as I see that happen and I acknowledge it, I can't help but think that that could have been possible for Grace, too. Mm. Graham could have had a character arc without having to fridge a black woman, and continuing to rely on these damaging tropes is just lazy and it's violent. Yeah. And although, ultimately, the bar should not be so low as, while prioritizing your white men, don't fridge your black women, but instead maybe consider prioritizing black women. Just a thought. Yeah. Anyways, this episode shows that you can still give us drama and a scare and rich storytelling without it having to include our deaths. Like, mm. I definitely thought that dude was going to die. Yeah. I I did not expect that to go the way it did. Yeah. I think we talked about that in the prepared. Echelon Circuit that we were like, okay. oh, okay, well, he's going to die, so there's that. Not only were we just, like, prepared for it because of, like, historical narratives, but we are to just prepared for it within the, like, logic of this episode. It yeah. just seemed like that's just, you know, what was going to happen. And it did a great job of putting us on the edge of our seats and giving us just a reward after that. And on that note, Suki could have lived as well. Yeah. Or not died so violently and so helplessly. It's like, so I get some people too. have to die. Yeah, because she's like, our cell replication is slower, so it doesn't, like, happen to us as fast when she's talking to the doctor and then literally, like, two minutes later, it's like, it's like dominoes falling on her skin. It's so, it's just, Ooh, yeah, it changes very fast. Whereas you would think maybe the same logic would apply to, like, growing the virus or letting the virus accept. Yeah, is it um, supposed to be that because she used the Adam vaccine? Well, here's the thing, is that Suki seems like an extremely yeah. intelligent person. The whole episode is telling us that. And yet she doesn't consider that maybe problem? that this that was built for a human. fundamental error. And yeah. she knows that the virus itself does not work the same on her as it does humans. So why wouldn't she realize? Yeah. So that seems like a really unrealistic and unbelievable oversight. I guess you can wave your hands and say she's just in a panic and she's really, really desperate, which I totally believe too. But anyways, yeah, I'm just, I loved her and I'm mad that they gave us cute Suki being all hot and smart and capable just to find out that, oh, she has been up to a little murder this whole time. Just a small genocide. <laughs> I find that extremely not cool when there are so few Southeast Asian characters featured on the show. I mean, there's so few Asian characters, period. And do you realize how huge of a category that is? It's only over, like, 59% of the world population, but whatever. Anyways, Molly Harris is a snack. I love her, and I'm glad she was on Doctor Who. I just wish they didn't do her character so dirty. Yeah, agreed. Oh, I guess circling back around to Jake and Adam's relationship, <laughs> a little out of place, but I do have to say, I know the fam's reaction, or really lack thereof, to Jake and Adam's relationship should just be expected at this point. Yeah. But we find ourselves honestly praising the show for it, because in the hands of so many other Doctor Who writers, it would have been made into a, a thing. thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... That just assumes a straight audience watching a gay couple on screen. Yeah. And that should not be your assumption. Yeah. And again, I'll end on pointing out that the story where two gay men get to stay together and see themselves survive a virus because there was a cure is nothing short of important. And seeing their kiss prominently displayed is important. And it was respectful and meaningful. Yeah. It's a it's, good kiss. It's not a wimpy kiss. Yeah. It's not like a cutaway kiss. They kiss for a while and then mm -hmm. dialogue continues around them and you can still see them kissing. Mm -hmm. That's good. We are not shortchanging that at all. Yeah. And it's almost as if 
when you hire, because this is written by a gay man, mm-hmm. when you hire writers with the marginalized identities that are seen on screen, they're more likely to write better stories about those identities. Oh my gosh, what? We got the story because they they hired a gay man to write it. Imagine if we got to see stories from queer writers of color. Damn! Don't get wild. I will get wild. <laughs> I will go on about it. <laughs> I hope we talk about it loads. Okay, so what about Bechtel and DuVernay? Did this actually do a mad decent job at passing Bechtel test? I was like, yes to both, question mark. Although a lot of POC die, so it's like status revoked, question mark. <laughs> Passes Bechtel test, I'm going to say, with flying colors. DuVernay, not so close, buddy. So many lovely people of color in this episode. Mm-hmm. But then... You kill their girlfriend, Gabriella. You sacrifice them without another mention. Man, they just do not mention Aramu at all. Mm-hmm. They don't even say anything about his death. They're mm-hmm. just like running past his body on the beach. I mean, I get it. Like That's a tense moment, but not even later? Anyways. And then you make them racist tropes and kill them off as punishment. Bummer. Suki. Yeah. I'm just going to say no to DuVernay. Status revoked. See above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about Yaz? Can you lift her out of the episode? No, you can't. Ha! <laughs> I love it. And we learned something. Yaz is clever. Laz is clever? Mm. <laughs> You're doing so good. <laughs> Been up since 3.30. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with Yaz's character development in this episode. We're using that term loosely. Keep going. Relatively we learned speaking. one thing. <laughs> For her presence on this show. season and a half in. (laughs) That's a lot. Holy shit. Is she the new central character of this episode? Is this whole show? She's about to be the only companion. Well, that's true. But I'm just... (laughs) Okay. Anytime Chris Chibnall has a co-credit on a script, I automatically wonder what plot points or character-defining moments he made a point to add. And since this episode is quite divorced from the rest of the season's plot... I would have to guess Chibnall's additions were about characters, which would have to be about Yaz, right? Because I don't think any other of our main cast really gets like a super defining moment like she does. And I would say that moment is mainly her asking the doctor to take a risk and let her stay for mm. like an hour or so. So I, I did love that for her. And I think that that's got to be meaningful to her overall arc because I feel like Chibnall probably made sure that was in there. If she has an arc. I'm guessing it's just a super delayed arc because could you just imagine? Because there's 80,000 people inside the TARDIS at all times. Yeah, yeah. And could you imagine, like, what is, if Yaz doesn't get an arc next season, what's the show going to be about, you know? Um, I don't know. I just have to assume. Here's my optimism rising up again to fight another day. Um, It's just, it seems like okay, like, we get it, Chibnall. You put off Yaz's arc because you knew she was going to stay on the TARDIS longer than everyone else, so you gave Graham everything, and then... You gave Ryan a crumbs. crumbs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Yaz was left outside. But now that Yaz is going to be the only companion in the TARDIS, most likely. We still don't know Unless for sure. Unless they add some more, yeah. Yeah. There was some... Was it in Doctor Who magazine 
I think it might have been in one of his production notes that Chibnall was talking about writing the scripts, and he said, we're introducing you to a bunch of new people. And I remember I read that, and I was like, sir? Uh, we really don't need to hear that. Don't add. <laughs> you really you may don't. bring back Gabriella, but Focus. we don't need her. We don't need any. Yep. Anyways. Could you imagine, like, other people in the episodes? Just bring back reoccurring people. Just do a Riggsy. Yeah. Do a Riggsy. That's fine. Yep. Anyways. Actually, literally bring back Riggsy. I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> I love Riggsy so Riggsy, much. Riggsy, River, Gabriella. End of the list. Okay, cool. <laughs> End of season, because it's going to be like three episodes long. <laughs> okay, I think that's probably enough of us being queer killjoys for today. No! Yeah, I'm ready to take a break from all this close reading. <laughs> okay, I know exactly what you mean. Let's head to the heart of the TARDIS to talk about emotional labor and characters who need to get thee to fucking therapy. Mm-hmm. And we can hear a word from our sponsor on the way. That sounds like more close reading, but okay. This podcast is brought to you by Cephalon Brand ComDots. Used aboard all Rhesus emergency ships and on teams throughout the galaxy, Cephalon Brand ComDots can connect you to your team across vast distances. Our ComDots are highly adaptable and can be made to fit your team's needs. Want tracking capabilities to keep your team in touch as you investigate odd occurrences across multiple continents? ComDots can do that for you. Need an option for an emergency assistance beacon in case of bizarre bird attacks? ComDots can deliver you from danger on a wing with no prayers needed. When you need to stay connected from the edge of the atmosphere to the bottom of the ocean, trust Cephalon Comdots to stay in touch. Okay, let's jump into the heart of the TARDIS. Let's talk about them feels and the supposed morals of the episode. <laughs> morals. You never know. Yeah. I think, obviously, one of the big ones is stop dodging life. Like, you can't just sit around and avoid difficult things because you don't want to have feelings. Yep. Like, that's just not how being a human works. And you get a bunch of, obviously, big, sweeping emotional moments for that. And then the other one is in the clunky voiceover, Planet Earth Connected. I mean, it's clunky here, but can we talk about how much better... This episode does at <laughs> highlighting an environmental issue than Ocean 55. It is wild to me that they're so close in succession to one another. Yeah. In the same series. Yeah. We talked about this in the Echelon Circuit. I remember sure <laughs> I told you when the episode started, I was like, I wonder if this is another climate change episode. And then like 10 minutes in, I was like, yep, microplastics. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then I think one of the most heavy lifting emotional moments of the episode is Graham's talk with Jake. Yeah. I know you're worried about your husband, mate, but he's in good hands with the dog. Let's go away. And I, again, hate how well Chimnall has written Graham's character at the expense of any comparable depths to Ryan and Yas's characters. And the doctor. Oof. When he writes a compelling character, it is good. Yeah. Graham sitting on that beach with Jake is some subtle and powerful character work. I really don't like foreign travel. Wow. So you're quite the catch then. There is this moment when Jake mentions, my husband's an astronaut. And he goes on to ask, do you know how hard it is to be married to someone that impressive? Do you have any idea how hard it is being married to somebody that impressive? And that's the moment the camera lens refocuses from Jake asking the question to Graham hearing those words and the unspoken pain in Graham's face 
as the comforting smile dims and an unexpected wave of grief resurfaces. You could see it in yeah. his eyes. And Sagoon cues us with the, it's the sound from the first yes. episode too. So the music is letting us know that I... Graham's thinking about Grace too. I don't think he's the one you're punishing. Heartbreaking. <laughs> so again, I ask Chibnall, please use these powers for good. Yeah. You got the traps to imbue a character with rich internal dialogue and compelling motivations and growth. May I present you with literally every other person in this cast that you could have done that with. Yeah. Shame out of all of those, even above the main character of the show, Jodie Whittaker, the 13th Doctor, you chose the white guy to write well. Yeah. And I know this is probably coming for Yaz, literally just finished talking about this, in series 13, but again, that just doesn't erase that you prioritized Graham first. The most tragic thing is that Ryan will never get that development from you as a showrunner. Yeah. It's interesting. I was looking for Ryan specifically in this episode now. Now that we're at the end of series 12 and we know he's leaving in a couple of weeks. And you can really see there's a big difference between Woman Who Fell to Earth Ryan and this episode Ryan. Like this episode Ryan is confident. He's making jokes. He's like, yes, I'll do this. I don't really want to. That's gross. So (laughs) you get to see way more range from Ryan here and... It makes me sad that they didn't take advantage of what Tosin Cole can actually do in his time. I agree. At this point, he's the type of character that we don't really get to see any struggle from him. Yeah. So he's kind of flat because he's kind of like a ray without an arc. Yeah. Like he's just good at everything. He's funny. He's well-rounded. And he's doing an awesome job. And he's super, super enjoyable. Holy shit. Like every yeah. scene he's in, I love him. But we're not getting his internal dialogue. Yeah, which is bonkers that you're like, he's a character without any struggle because he is a black boy with a disability who just lost his last parental figure. Like, the the ground is ripe for something, anything to grow. And you're just like, meh. Right. Oh, all right. And again, like, I wouldn't want to take away from the black boy joy that they gave him. Like, we have talked about that, how that is glorious. And again... I don't need Ryan to go through more trauma. No, but no more trauma, just please. Use I just use the storyline you gave him, yeah. I just wanted to clarify, like, don't put him through shit. But you can have a character who has that rich joy and also just is a substantial character. Yeah. So I just have to, every time, I just have to mourn that a little bit. And as we're closing on Graham and Ryan's go around the TARDIS and we know that they're leaving the show, that's it just... Reminds me of that. Yeah. So, I think we've arrived at the pivotal moment. To send something? Mm-hmm. To a crack in time and space? Yes. That's the one? Yes. What shall it be? The sights and sounds of Praxius. No! <laughs> I won't! Which we say no. A resounding no. <laughs> no, thank you! Please! Bye, Ronimo! To, to that! that bitch. bitch! Yes. <laughs> What about top Can we three? Please move on to top three <laughs> yeah. moments. I love, we talked about this in the Echelon Circuit, and I still love it when Graham's like, whatever's giving off these weird readings is on the other side of that wall. And then Yaz comes and flips it and then moves on, and he's like, it's on the other side of that door. <laughs> the nonchalantness. You're welcome. Nonchalance. <laughs> nonchalance, yeah. Of Yaz when she does that so confidently, like, you goof. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Moving on. <laughs> Absolutely love. Yaz is great in this whole episode. You're welcome. And I love most things she does, but especially 
Love, love, love her being visibly pleased with herself when the doctor directs any praise her way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I also love Jody's delivery of focus too much on that cat. (laughs) Just really fucking funny to me. (laughs) It is probably one of my favorite weirdo 13 bits that feels so doctor and so her. Yeah. Truly Because it's a double whammy. You get, like, a callback in the in an episode itself. And yes. And the way, like you said, the way that she delivers it is perfect. Focus too much on the cat. <laughs> <laughs> what a freaking dork. Okay, Ryan, speaking of which, when he's asked to dissect the bird, <laughs> and Jody says, it doesn't have to be elegant. Good, because it won't be. His face as he's grabbing the clothes. Yes, clothes. his face, too. As he's showing her the bird is just like, his face is us this whole episode i love it is us (laughs) i love the scene when they're all trying to get suki's ship up and running and everyone's saying i did this i did this Mm. and graham says something something turned clockwise and she goes i said anti-clockwise and he goes just testing (laughs) yep you (laughs) also okay when 13 is doing her doctor thing and graham is always low-key trying to keep up But in this episode, draws the line at her throwing out random nonsense words in his perspective. Microfiltration. Hey, Doc, that's not a thought. That's just a random phrase. No, no, no. Yob, frast, nunt. You're just saying sounds. There's sounds. (laughs) And then lastly, I absolutely love 13 being super cute and saying I'm a romantic after reuniting Adam and Jake. Is that right, Doctor? Are you romantic? I would love to see that play out a little bit more if you don't mind, Chimno. <laughs> I would like to see it. And that's it for this week. Next week, we will be back to talk about the seventh episode of Series 12, Can You Hear Me? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Archive Pod. We want to hear from you, your thoughts and your feels on this episode. And please, when you get a chance, rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice because it really does help other queerdos find us. Until next time. Be gay. Do crimes. Yeah. Tune on your speakers and please be my doctor, whoever. Yeah. Uh huh, uh huh. Yes, sir.